Hello and welcome to episode 390 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox. We're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to be LSAT famous, you can share news and ask questions on our website. That's thinkinglsat.com. This is going to air on Monday, February 20th. In less than a month, we're going to have a free event coming up. Nathan, you want to talk about that? Yeah, just a couple of weeks. It's called Parents Night. This was uh, requested by one of our current students who said, hey, you know, I think that f- my folks would really benefit from a lot of what you guys have to say. And uh, I think sometimes students try to like translate what we say to their parents, but their parents don't buy it. But uh, maybe your parents will buy it from me and Ben directly. Both of us are going to be there. Um, we are going to talk about how law school scholarships work. We're going to talk about the em- enormous power of the LSAT for getting those law school scholarships. We actually have an example uh, email later on the show today where you'll hear yet again the transformative power of a few more LSAT points to your uh, law school admissions and scholarships. We'll talk a little bit about what the LSAT tests. We'll talk about how the demon approaches the LSAT. And then we will talk about our GLAD method for the timeline for your law school applications. And again, that's GPA first, then your LSAT, then apply, then decide where you're going to go. Yep. Or if you're even going to go at all. Exactly. To be clear, this is free. So this is free for anyone who wants to attend students or parents And your parents, if they may be interested in attending, they can either create a free demon account at lsatdemon.com and then register for the class directly themselves, or they can just log in using your own demon account, whether that's a demon free account or paid, it does not matter. That's just what you need to register. Yeah. You know, the, the sales pitch, the like short sales pitch, if you're trying to convince your folks of what we're doing here. Our our mission is to save you $100,000 or $150,000 on law school if we can. Yep. So, you know, if that's not enough to wake up mom and dad and get them to come listen to us, I don't know really what is, but hopefully we will uh, see them there. Again, it's Thursday, March 9th, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, parents' night, and everybody's welcome. Yeah, and I want to double down on that $100,000. This isn't something like... Come listen for the chance, the slight chance you might have to save $100,000. This is come listen and learn how to do that. That's our presumption. We want people to go to law school for free and they do it all the time. And as two people who went to law school ourselves, we are telling you without any kind of hesitation that This should be plan A for you, not plan B, not like, oh, if I get a miracle offer, we're telling you that you basically shouldn't go to law school unless you get one of these crazy scholarships or, you know, as close to a full tuition scholarship as you're able to get. Yeah. And we know how to do that. So that's what we're hopefully going to deliver. Yep. Great. We have an email here from Anonymous. The subject is asking chat GPT to write me an LSAT question. Uh, Okay, I guess I'll go ahead and read it. Hey guys, I was bored at work and had the idea of asking chat GPT to write me an LR question. Thought I'd share. Here's the question. In a certain city, all public transportation runs on time except for the buses. 
which are frequently delayed. The city's transportation authority recently announced that it would be installing GPS systems on all of the buses to improve their punctuality. <laughs> okay. If the that state- so far sounds perfectly un- unobjectionable. <laughs> yeah. um, like that could easily be the setup for a must be true question. Absolutely. We got two sentences. Um, this isn't an argument. This is just two facts. And the question now says if the statement, hmm, if the statement in the transportation authorities announcement is true, which of the following must also be true? That is a totally legit (laughs) question. I would expect it to say statements, but. Or just if the transportation authorities statement is true. It's really weird that it says the statement in the announcement. Yeah. But okay, whatever. Yeah. It's fine. The words, you know, it still works. It still works. All right, so it must be true question. All right. Find one that has to be true based on the given facts. Okay. Um, you know, what's funny is I was, I was just reading without paying attention. I was violating all our rules because I was more, um, just curious if it even came up with something coherent. Yeah. What the hell is happening here, Nathan? Did you catch it? Well, we just have a couple of facts. I mean, I, I can't really conclude much. I, I, I don't have much of a prediction here. I know that the buses are frequently delayed. Everything else in town is running on time. So I'm assuming yep. trains and um, whatever else you guys got, boats, yep. ferries, yep. Um, all that stuff's running on time. Buses are frequently delayed. How frequently? I don't really know. City Transportation Authority is going to install GPS systems on all of the buses to improve their function their punctuality. So it's like they're giving you an express purpose for why they're installing these GPS systems. Of course, we don't know if they will succeed. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea whether this will work. Yep. Okay. Like, wait, GPS doesn't make you go faster. GPS makes it so that I know where you are. Well, I guess (laughs) don't buses run on routes. So like, I don't see how the GPS system is going to really help the bus go faster. It, it, it would be great for helping passengers know where the bus is and like, Oh, should I go down to the bus stop now? Or should I wait 10 minutes and then go down to the bus stop? I, I could see it working in the sense that now the authorities or the managers know who's late and sure. that might make the drivers more aware. Oh, but that's yeah, yeah. Know. If the the because the the drivers are just taking a break, you know, <laughs> or driving off their route or something. Yeah, okay. All right, I can see how. <laughs> Hold on, let me go through the drive through over here. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So maybe it would help, but of course that's all speculation. We have no idea. Yeah. So, but and the question is a must be true question. So what has to be true? Well, answer choice A says the buses in the city have not previously had GPS systems. No way, because they could have previous, you know, 10 years ago, maybe they did have them and then the system was too expensive. So they got rid of it or something like yep, that. Yep, exactly. I definitely okay. can't prove that. Can't prove that. B, the installation of GPS systems will definitely result in the buses running on time. <laughs> I mean, the definitely there is like just pointing you to why the reason why that answer is wrong. I think yeah. even if it didn't say definitely, you know, if it just said the installation of GPS systems will result in the buses running on time, it would still be wrong. Oh, 100 percent. Because will it? We don't know. I mean, we don't, we don't know. know that. Yeah, we know that's why they're installing the GPS systems. But my initial hypothesis, how does that make you go faster? Could have been correct. Right. And so, yeah, the definitely there is just like a 
it's like pointing, you know, it's like, <laughs> hey, I'm wrong. Yeah, okay. chat GPT is being nice to the test taker here. Right. C, the city's public transportation was previously all on time. No, there nope. could have there could have been delays always forever as far as we know. Yeah, we just don't know what was happening previously. D, <clears throat> improving the punctuality of the buses was the only reason for installing mm. the GPS systems. It's the only stated reason, but that doesn't mean that it's the only reason. I mean, yeah. probably also the mayor wanted to get elected. Uh, the mayor wanted to convey some graft over to the company that is installing the GPS systems. Yeah. Rider convenience is increased by installing the GPS systems. There could be a million reasons why they're politics. Who knows? Yeah. Yep. Answer choice E. Other methods for improving the punctuality of the buses were tried before installing GPS systems. Uh, again, we have no idea. It, it, it concludes by saying the correct answer is B. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> no, <laughs> so that's probably no the worst answer. answer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's a chat GPT fail. I, I will say that they got the form of the question totally yeah, right. They did. Uh, but no, the question itself is not uh, valid. You know, what'd be funny here is you turn around and ask chat GPT to answer this question um, <laughs> and see what it says. It's like, wait, yeah. there's no answer. All right, this next one is from listener Carl, who asked also about ChatGPT. Oh, asked ChatGPT to write his personal statement. Okay, Carl, um, what do you think? Go for it. Yeah, Nathan. here we go. And I don't know if Carl put any information in, like uh, telling ChatGPT what he was, like give, give ChatGPT his resume or anything, or just said, hey, write me a personal statement. Because <laughs> yeah. ChatGPT then just launches straight into, as an experienced software engineer with a strong passion for the law, <laughs> which is, <laughs> that makes me laugh because that's like the George Santos ChatGPT version, uh, you know, where <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know, that would sound good, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah experienced software engineer. Let's go with that. Also, I do have a strong passion for the law. Mm hmm. OK. So chat GPT, you know, breaking our commandment that you never use the word passion uh, right there in the first sentence. Yeah. Anyway, my decision to pursue a career in the legal profession is founded on a deep seated desire to argue with an impeccable mastery of the law. Huh? What? <laughs> 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 that it's like simultaneously not understanding what lawyers really do. Yeah. While also just, yeah. Ugh, throwing, I mean, the sentence is way too long. It's got a lot of adjectives. It's really trying to puff itself up. Yeah. Yeah. I think when chat GPT read the words personal statement and they were like, Oh, you want me to just write a bunch of bullshit? Cause that's what the internet thinks is good personal statement yeah. advice. I mean, it's the thing about chat GPT is you can, you know, anyone can complain about the content that it's spitting out, but it's spitting out what we stupid humans have. The wisdom of generated. the internet. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it took all of the, like when it was doing the logical reasoning question that we just read, it yeah. was like, well, here's what the Internet thinks is a, you know, <laughs> this, according to the Internet, this, the answer would be B. Yeah. And the Internet's <laughs> dumb. So. The Internet is stupid, though. Yeah. And according to the Internet, this would be a good personal statement. But uh, I, the part I hate about it the most is 
deep-seated desire to argue with an impeccable mastery of the law. Like, What does that even mean? You're arguing against someone's mastery of the law? Huh? No, to, to be able to argue while equipped with an impeccable mastery of the oh, law is how I read that. <laughs> I don't know why I was but reading it that way. Dude, how do you <laughs> have a deep-seated desire... Yeah. Like since kindergarten, you've wanted to have an impeccable mastery of the law. No, you haven't. Yeah. You want to be Perry Mason or something? Yeah. From an early age, I was fascinated with the (laughs) how many mental states, by the way, we've got a decision to pursue a career in the legal profession. We've also got a deep seated desire to argue now in the beginning of the second sentence we're fascinated oh right and we have a strong passion so we're like 1.2 sentences in and we already have four statements about mental states that's how people write these things wrong yeah Yeah. which we think is trash but anyway from an early age i was fascinated with the intricacies of legal theory pouring over legal cases (laughs) 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 really wow That was quite a preschool you went to there Um, and engaging in debates with my peers. This lifelong interest in the law eventually led me to enroll in law school where I have further developed my intellectual curiosity and legal knowledge to become an esteemed legal professional. Well, shit, you're already in law school. Why do you need a personal statement? <laughs> yeah, this is one of those personal statements where that from people who think that they're already lawyers. Yeah. Uh, Again, very George Santosian here. Um, My passion for the law. (laughs) This is the second paragraph. My passion. Okay, we're not going to read this whole thing, are we? No, there's no need to. The second paragraph starts with my passion for the law. The fourth paragraph starts with my passion for the law. Wow. The fifth paragraph starts with, in conclusion, my lifelong passion for the law. Dear God. Yeah. All right. Chad GPT, back to the drawing board on that. Yeah, you know, um, I was listening to some advice yesterday, and it was saying, hey, to get better results from ChatGPT, which I have now upgraded to the paid version, by the way, uh, and I do use it quite a bit, but um, it said you got to give it context, of course, which I was already kind of naturally doing, because how in the world is it going to know what sort of advice I want without some background, but also to tell it to act in certain ways. So to act as an attorney or to, and in this case, it's, I almost wonder if it would benefit by acting as a journalist or someone who has, you know, a much better writing style. Anyways, just a random thought, but uh, yeah, giving it more instruction, you need to teach it. This next email here is from Caitlin. The subject is the more I study, the worse I get. Hi, Ben and Nathan, exclamation point. In September, I took my first diagnostic and scored a 157. Wow. Wow. Nice work. I spent the next two months infrequently studying with (laughs) and not seeing much progress. Now I've been studying with the demon for a month, and since then I have gotten serious with my studying. My understanding of the test has grown significantly, and I've made amazing progress in games, which was my worst section before. As I began to focus on accuracy over speed, though, my LR and RC scores have plummeted. On December 29th, I scored 17 out of 27 on RC with 94% accuracy. This week, I took a timed RC section and only scored 11 out of 27 with 85% accuracy. 
I was consistently scoring uh, minus five on logical reasoning, and now I'm only getting 17 to 18 right, and I am unable to finish the section. I'm worried that all this drilling and learning is causing me to overthink and make me regress. How can I study if I'm studying seems to only make me slower and less accurate? Please help. To me, it just seems like small samples. I, I just can't believe that that is really real. I, I, I'm guessing that your December 19th or sorry, December 29th, you know, that you're you're that's one data point. Right. So you're on. Here's one data point where I was 17 for 27 with 94 percent accuracy. And then this week, here's another data point, 11 out of 27 with 85 percent accuracy. Well, shit's going to go up and down. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I want to know what you think, Caitlin, of each individual question you answer, especially in logical reasoning. Let's start there. What did you think of question one? Was it that hard? What do you mean by overthinking? Were you trying to dig way too deep into things that are pretty straightforward and simple, um, trying to unpack them in ways that are unnecessary? Does it make sense to you? Think of the test as, or as the section as 27 individual mini tests. Um, what happened with each of those tests? Yeah. I, I really want to dig into the individual questions and understand how much you understand them and how much you don't. That's really going to be the, the key to your success. If it feels like you're learning, you are. If, if it feels like, okay, I missed that question. I reviewed it. I watched the videos. I read the written explanations. I used the ask button if necessary. And I felt the click. Then you're learning. You're, I, I, I just got to go back to, I think that this is a, an artifact of, of not enough data. I mean, look, uh, regarding logical reasoning, Caitlin says, I was consistently scoring minus five on LR. No, you weren't. That's not possible. You just weren't. You were sometimes getting a couple more. You were sometimes getting a couple less. And, you know, even if you think you were, oh, but look, this was four times in a row that I scored minus five. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Four times in a row minus five, but that's not consistently scoring minus five. That's a, that's like flipping heads five times in a row. It's possible. It's going to happen sometimes, but it's not actually consistency. You're seeing consistency in not enough data. And then, you know, and then Caitlin's like panicking, saying, and now I'm only getting 17 to 18, right? And I'm unable to finish the section. Well, wait a second. There's 25 questions on logical reasoning. So you say you used to be getting 20 and now you're getting 17 or 18. Well, that's only a couple less. So it's like it's not even a significant change. I know it feels significant to you, Caitlin. I'm not trying to, you know, like. I'm not trying to erase your angst or whatever. I'm not trying to like invalidate your feelings here. I get it that you're feeling like this is happening to you, but because of randomness, I think that this is really just an illusion and I think you just need to keep going. Yeah. And, and, and dig into the ones that you got wrong. I mean, if Caitlin, if you and I were in a one-on-one -on -one tutoring session, the, these numbers might, <laughs> prompt you to talk about this issue and you say, Hey, geez, look, I just took this RC section. I got 11 out of 27. And it's like, okay, but there's not much more I can say after that other than which questions did you do and which ones did you get wrong? And even among the ones you got right, which ones were you unsure about? Well, that's, 
what do you think about it now? Why do you think that's the answer? How confusing, how complicated do you think that is? And let's unpack that until it makes sense. And as soon as these things start making sense, I guarantee you it's going to come together. And you have the horsepower to do this. You got a diagnostic of 157. You're going to end up in the 170s. You just have to focus on understanding every question you get wrong. Yeah, and it seems like you've been spending more time on the games, maybe. That was your worst section, and you've made amazing progress. That's awesome. Maybe you just need to spend a little more time reviewing your reading comp and your logical reasoning. But I agree with Ben a thousand percent that it's it's really just one question at a time. You gotta get you gotta dig into every one of those mistakes. And it's not because of overthinking. You you're not missing questions because of overthinking. You're missing questions because of underthinking. Always. You have to feel great about the answer that you're choosing, and you have to also be able to dismiss the wrong answers. And your accuracy should just do nothing but go up if you if you stay focused on that. So I don't really know what you're doing. It sounds like you're still freaking out about not being able to finish the sections, though. And that's a problem, because until you're solidly into the 170s, finishing the sections shouldn't even be your goal. Thanks for writing in. Please write us back. Use the ask button. Uh, email help at th- uh, help at LSAT Demon anytime if you want help. You know, if you're a, you're one of our students and we're there to help you. So you can ask the ask button team. You can email help. You can come see us in class. There's tons of ways that you can get help here. But <laughs> I, I have to go back to my first hypothesis, which is just that you're making too much out of not enough data. I, I think that even if you don't change anything, it's very likely that these trends will reverse themselves in the next couple of weeks. Great. Thanks for writing in. Uh, we have pearls versus turds. This is where we take some wisdom that somebody supposedly received from somewhere and decide whether it's good advice, a pearl or bad advice, a turd. Right now, the scoreboard is 24 pearls, 70 turds and 26 ties. Uh, this one is from anonymous and the subject is is narrowing the goalposts a good idea? It says, I was given some advice that seems suspect and I wanted to get your opinion on it. The advice was to do a timed section and then when you're able to complete them all in the time allotted, you quote, narrow the goalposts and try the next timed section with two minutes fewer. Bad. That's a turd. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep reading the rest of it. Once sure. you're comfortable with that time frame, you reduce it again. And you keep repeating this cycle until you're ready to take the test for real. The theory behind this is that you're training yourself to solve the questions faster by decreasing the time low enough while practicing that you'll easily be able to complete the section in the time given when taking the real exam. Does this narrow the goalposts idea have any merit at all? No. One way to think about this is how do marathoners train and how to... (laughs) you know, milers train. They're different competitions. You don't say, oh, well, hey, I've been training for a marathon, therefore I'm going to do so well on the mile run. No, it's a different kind of competition. You've got to run hard and fast for one mile. So having trained for a much longer or in theory challenging (laughs) event doesn't make you better at the mile. This is weird. You're you're not going to have... 30 minutes, you're not going to have 28 minutes, you're going to have 35. And you need to calmly, civilly, 
use that time as effectively as possible. We, we see the same thing with people who have accommodations and are like, well, I'm going to practice with 35 minutes. It's like, no, you're <laughs> going to have 53. Yeah. Use the 53 and get good at that. Yeah, I, I would give this two turds if I could. I, I mean, I think that this is not only is this a real bad tip, but I think it's a dangerously like I think it's a particularly bad tip because for starters, if you're focusing on speed, you're you're not actually focusing on solving the questions. I really like it that Anonymous used the word solve there because yeah. that is what we're doing. We're solving the questions. And this advice goes back to Caitlin above. Caitlin, yeah. are you solving the question or not? It's not a matter of overthinking it. Like, I think sometimes people think that like, well, I need to spend more time on it and then talk myself into an answer that I don't understand. That's not what we're inviting you to do. We're inviting you to actually solve the question so that you know you've found the right answer. Similar kind of to like, you know how on math questions, if it's multiple choice, you might be able to like plug the answer back into the formula to see if it comes out correctly. Sure. That's how, like when you do that, you've, you've like double checked your solution, right? And you, sure. oh yeah, that does solve my system or whatever. In logical reason, it just oh, actually anywhere on the LSAT, um, you should be looking to solve the questions where you like, you're just, you're sure that that's the answer. Yeah. Your accuracy can't go down if you're sure that you have found the correct answer. If you actually solved it, then your accuracy is going to be a hundred percent. And I think people, you know, and what Anonymous is doing here by saying solve the questions faster, it's like, no, you either did solve it or you didn't solve it. And this striving for speed is going to lead you to think you're solving questions that you're actually not solving. You just guessed you fell into a trap, essentially. Yeah. And that doesn't that does not help you. It is a double turd because it's it's also it's also like seems to be relying on this principle that the real exam is going to be harder. Like the real exam is going to be different and harder. So we got to do our practice sections in 29 minutes because on the real thing, you know, we're, we're going to need all 35 of those minutes. Yeah. What? Now you're not treating the official test as if it's just another practice test. It's a recipe for crashing and burning on the official test. It's also a recipe for just wasting your time thinking about the clock. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with my analogy, going back to a mile run. If that's your race, if that's what you're preparing for, what the race day mile is going to be harder. It's literally not going to be any different than all your other practice mile runs. <laughs> Just prepare for what you're going to do. This terrible tip brings us to our next uh, promotion here, which is another free LSAT class. Thursday, February 23rd, I'm going to teach a class called LSAT gimmicks that are holding you back. And uh, yeah, that might need to go on the agenda, actually, this narrow the goalposts idea. Sure. Yeah. Th there will be many different gimmicks that come up during this class. Again, Thursday, February 23rd, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. All I got to do is have a free LSAT demon account. I, I would love to <laughs> try to remove as many of these roadblocks from your process as possible. Things like reading the question stem first on logical reasoning, selecting what games you're going to do on logic games, 
reading the reading comprehension passages, want like skimming it, then going back and reading it or reading the questions first on reading comp and then reading the passage. There's many of these just terrible LSAT gimmicks out there. <laughs> we could ask ChatGPT, right? Hey, ChatGPT, give me a list of shortcuts for the LSAT or something. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to give you all this bullshit. And the truth is, from me, from Ben, the truth is you need to sit with that question and read it very carefully and solve it on your own time. <laughs> None of this other stuff is actually helping you. Yeah. You can sign up for that at lsat.link forward slash Nathan. Hope, Hope to, to see you there. there. Yeah. This next email is from Colt. The subject is LSAT Demon Classes. Hope you guys are doing well, exclamation point. I have been using the premium plan the past month, but just upgraded to the live plan today. I'm a huge structure person, and I was wondering how to go about making a schedule for my classes. Do you have any suggestions on how to go about this, or should I just pop into any? Thank you very much. Yeah, I think you need to make your own schedule, Colt. We don't know what your work schedule is, your school schedule is, your fitness, taking care of friends and family, roommates. I, I don't know. I don't know what you got going on on your agenda, so I'm not going to just give you a structure I will tell you that all of our teachers will help you. All of our teachers will guide you toward the resources on the demon that we think are going to help you the most. We don't know what's going to help you the most until we get to know you, though. So I would tell you to just come to my class. My classes are all levels, except for Double Black Diamond, which is a expert level logical reasoning class. But my normal classes on Wednesdays and Thursdays are all levels classes, we cover all topics. So reading comp, logical reasoning and games in every class for all levels. So everybody can come to my classes. Ben, your classes are all levels as well, right? Yep. And then we do have foundations level classes for people who are struggling. We also have some advanced classes for people who are doing really well. We have classes that are specifically focused on games. If games is your worst section, you should Go to all the games classes if you can. We have classes specifically focused on logical reasoning, classes specifically focused on reading comp. I would tell you to try to pick out a class a day or a class every other day that fits with your schedule and then just gravitate toward the teachers that are really speaking your language. Yeah. You said uh, we have foundation classes for people who are struggling. I would add that we often get reviews on those classes from people who are doing fairly well in those sections, but found the foundations classes very helpful because they go over things that they had just never really internalized about the process. Yeah, the so. pace will be a little bit different. And sometimes 170 scorers are like, oh, yeah, I really liked taking 45 minutes to talk about one question because I realized yeah. that I was kind of half assing it and dismissing wrong answers without really understanding why they're wrong or getting rid of wrong answers for the wrong reason or picking the right answer for the wrong reason. Yeah. Not doing a good enough job of predicting the answer in the first place. There's lots of things that you can. Yeah. The wise man is always going to learn, right? The, yeah. the, what's the thing? The conversation between the wise man and the fool and who earn, who learns more? Yeah. And the answer is the wise man because the wise man <laughs> always learns yeah. and the fool does not, no matter who they're talking to. So yeah. 
I guess my point is you'll find the classes that are going to work the best for you. I would just kind of dabble, dip in and out. By the way, you don't have to be there right at the beginning of every class and you don't have to stay to the end of every class. I encourage you to just come in and out at will and get the most out of however much time you've got. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I liked your advice, Nathan, to look for one class a day or every other day. Mm -hmm. now, if you're looking for some structure, Colt, that's one way to start. Just say, hey, I'm going to attend one class every day or one class every other day. And then just pick the most interesting class to you on that day. And then you'll learn really quickly what you like and what works for you. If you're like most people and games is your worst section, um, we have a class called Game of the Day where you just go do one logic game. Yep. That would be a, a fantastic one to consider leaving early. If you show up to that class, you totally kill the game. You don't need to hang out for the whole explanation and all that. You can say peace in the chat and leave or don't even say peace in the chat. Just leave. <laughs> and, you <laughs> yep. know, <laughs> yep. it, it's um, I really want to encourage people to just use those classes for however they want to use them. Yep. There's a lot of them. Take advantage of them. Yeah. And, and do not please don't come to all of them. No ineffective. I think you're just wasting time if you come to all of them. Agreed. I mean, if you're having a bad day and you're lonely and you want to come hang out with us, <laughs> come hang out with us. But if you're trying to build an LSAT prep program and you have presumably limited amounts of time, you don't want to be spending all of that time sitting in classes. You want to be drilling. You want to be doing timed sections. You want to be reviewing questions on your own and then supplement with the live classes when you want to hang out with some humans and ask some questions of a live teacher. Yeah. Great. Good luck. Next Cole. email is uh, from anonymous. It's about LRAP programs. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I've been listening to your podcast for the past two years or so, and it has really helped me understand how law school admissions and scholarships work. I'm curious what you both think of loan repayment assistant programs, uh, assistance programs, which is uh, abbreviated LRAP. Okay. Now, I think that LRAP is an acronym, even though that's not a word, we pronounce it as if it's a word. We don't say L-R-A-P. We say mm -hmm. LRAP. Mm. So I would say that it's an acronym. As opposed, yeah, I agree. As opposed to an initialism, which would be L-R-A-P. Yeah. yeah. And just so everybody knows, I also think that LSAT is an acronym, not an initialism. When you sound, when you say L-S-A-T, you sound like a noob. Or what actually you. what a lot of people say is LSA, LSATs or something or LSATs. LSA, the LSATs. Yeah. Or the, or the LSAT test. Oh yeah. <laughs> We're going to just say the LSAT. That's if you want to sound cool. <laughs> According to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what about this LRAP program? LRAP, yeah. So they've been around for forever, right? Um, yep. Most schools claim to have an LRAP. The thing is that all LRAP programs are not created equal. And you Definitely need to dig in. Not. Mm. <laughs> you need to dig deeply into the specifics of these LRAP programs because some of them at like the Harvards of the world are extremely robust where you can go to that school, borrow a bunch of money. And if you know you're going to work in the public interest, you can feel pretty damn confident that Harvard's going to take care of you. Other schools uh, have limited funding, like you have to reapply every year. 
Ooh, to bad. see if there is funding available. Oh, geez. And if you're counting on that going in, I mean, I know that's how it was at Hastings when I was there. It was like, oh, yeah, all you got to do is just apply every year. And uh, uh, yeah, it depends on uh, the funds that we have available. But uh, yeah, we have an LRAP. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> well, is it guaranteed I, or not? I mean, let's talk about LRAPs generally. I mean, uh, Harvard is an exception for so many reasons, right? The quality of education, the reputation, the <laughs> the endowment that they have to fund an LRAP program. The enormous size of the classes. It's like a totally different experience. Are they uh, the cohorts? Because yeah. their 1L class is so huge every year. Go ahead. So it, it's it's almost even hard to talk about LRAP and Harvard at the same time, because if you extrapolate anything from Harvard, it's probably not applicable anywhere else. I mean, when I hear LRAP, I immediately think, no, thanks. Like, I do not want to depend on some future yeah. return of money, right? Because that also depends on me finishing law school and... Going into a job that qualifies, like, no, I don't want any of that. But of course, law schools are going to sell this as a totally viable option. They just want you to sign yeah. <laughs> the check to them totally. today. They do the same thing with LRAP that they do with outside scholarships, which is like, oh, well, yeah, just, uh, yeah, no, start, like, come to, yeah, sign here. <laughs> and then we'll talk about, like, yeah, you can apply for these outside scholarships or, yeah, you can apply for LRAP when the time comes. And it's like, well, in the meantime, you're just signing your life away. Yep. You're on the hook. And now, <laughs> oh, you, uh, actually, you don't qualify for LRAP because uh, what you're doing is earning a little too much money. Like, you don't want to deal with any of that shit later. I know people personally who bought into this LRAP idea, went to law school and then ended up eight years later, not working in the public interest. And they're not going to, not only do they not qualify for the LRAP program anymore, but they also don't, they don't pay, uh, qualify for the um, loan forgiveness that's supposed to happen at the end of the 10 years. Let me, let me read the rest of. Uh, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Let me read the rest of this, of this uh, email from anonymous. It says several elite law schools offer these programs in which the schools generally pay some or all of graduates loans as they work towards federal public service loan forgiveness for students who are confident that they want to work in the public service space. Do you think a generous LRAP program would make it reasonable to pay all or some tuition to attend a top 14 school? I don't know what the top 14 has to do with anything. We need to look at every single one of these LRAP programs individually. Yes, absolutely. You, if you're going to go down this route, you need to know exactly how it works. You need to have talked to people. You need to be the smartest person in the room. And if you are, then fine. But even then, I would be very nervous. I would read the document itself extremely carefully. I would have other smart people in your life read that document extremely carefully. And I would insist that the school connects me to people who are active in their LRAP program. And I would go talk to those folks and I would go, hey, OK, give me the real dirt on this LRAP program. How does it work? What's going on? And you're going to hear right Are away. Are there any oh. problems with it? Could things go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. So, OK, the rest of this is coming from uh, producer Eric, uh, LSAT teacher Eric, did a little bit of research, it looks like. And we have a link here to the Berkeley Law Loan, loan Repayment Assistance Program. Uh, bullet points from the program. OK. Any JD graduate working in. OK, so first of all, you do have to graduate. Yep. That's critical. 
what happened? You got sick in your third year. Uh, plans changed. Um, you got you pregnant. Hate. Your wife got pregnant. You decided not to finish law school. You hated law school. <laughs> yeah, you hated law school, uh, which so many people do. Okay, graduate, JD graduate, working in law-related public interest employment. So it's not enough to just work in public interest. It has to be law-related. So you probably had to have passed the bar. Probably have to have passed the bar. So bar failure. Yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> or best case, you're back working as a paralegal again. Ugh. And... You know, I don't know that that's, yeah, the only uh there, it's not that like paralegal is that bad of a job. It's just that paralegal with a JD debt balance, <laughs> that's no, bad. That's, that's real bad. bad. For for many paralegals, staying a paralegal is the best case for you. Like paral there are paralegals that make good money and have good lifestyles. Yeah. Uh, think twice before you borrow a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> With the intention of going into one of these LRAP programs. Yeah. Okay. Law-related public interest program. Then you can utilize the LRAP funding for up to 10 years cumulatively. As long as you enter the program for the first time within three and a half years of graduation. So you can see how the restrictions are piling up here. Yeah. You have to go through these hoops. It's like the money back guarantees that unnamed, uh, LSAT prep programs would provide. Yes. And then you actually want the money and they're like, wait a sec, did you do 94% of the yeah. assigned homework? And <laughs> Right. It's like Willy Wonka getting out the contract and showing you the fine print that you didn't read about the fizzy lifting drink. Yeah. Um, participant. Here we go. We got more restrictions. Yep. Participants earning $80,000 or less can receive 100% LRAP support with no out-of-pocket contributions toward their loans and graduates earning over $80,000 and up. Oh, sorry. And up to $120,000 can receive partial support for their loan payments. What they're not saying there is that if you make over 120 grand, you get zero from this LRAP. Yep. It's hundred percent up to the second you make $80,000 then it starts declining. And this is only paying your, your loan payments, by the way. Okay, mm -hmm. LRAP only covers payments. And so they, they don't cover interest? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, no. They don't, no, they don't cover principal. They cover the payments. And in order to qualify, you almost always have to be in um, income-based repayment. And income-based repayment, not only does it not cover principle, but it frequently doesn't cover in all the interest. Oh, wow. That's, that's a real, that's a really tricky, um, restriction because now right. you're in loan based repayment. So you're paying almost nothing. Maybe your interest is accruing a hundred dollars a month or something. You're paying 50 of that. And they're like, yeah, we'll cover the 50 bucks. That's shit. That's yeah. nothing. People are thinking in their heads, LRAP, no loans. They're going to pay off my loans. No, it's not anywhere close. And, you know, you might even think now, oh, well, if I was making over 120, God damn, that's so much money. I don't I don't care if I get the LRAP or I qualify for the LRAP, but $120,000 income with the kind of debt you could end up with is nothing. It's not, <laughs> you're not going to be happy with those loan payments and making 125000 
Yeah. If you, yeah, sorry. Oh, you made $121,000 last year. Okay. Well, so you're not eligible for LRAP at all. You could still be an income-based repayment and the income-based repayment may or may not be actually covering the interest that you're paying every month. Still, that's total shit. Like, I hate that idea. Like, okay, now I'm just kicking off my loan to the future and maybe it will be forgiven (laughs) in 20 years. Like, what kind of life is that? I'm going to be indebted for 20 years. I would have literal nightmares if that was my plan. I mean, yeah. I, there's no way I would be able to sleep at night. I was like, if, if it was, if I was, if I was working full time yeah. in public and like, <laughs> I went to Berkeley law for fuck's sake. Yeah. This is a elite top 14 school, right? Yeah. I went to Berkeley law and I'm, and I'm making less than $120,000 a year. That's already kind of a fail yeah. to me. Yeah, but I, I'm working in the public interest. I mean, that's the thing is you didn't have to go to Berkeley to get this job, right? You're working in the public defender's office. Why did you have you didn't have to go to Berkeley for that? Yeah, you could have gone to any other school for that and you could have gotten on a scholarship. So yeah. you could have obviated this whole discussion by just going somewhere and taking a tuition scholarship. Yep. But instead, oh, no, no, I'm working in the public interest. So I'm going to go to Berkeley, grind it out for three years borrow a wild amount of money, right? Graduate with $200,000 in debt or more potentially go into income-based repayment. The federal program for income-based repayment says, Hey, you don't have to pay the full amount. Like most people would be paying way more than this, but because your income is low, we can only let you pay, you know, you you can pay less. Mm -hmm. So you're paying less than the interest on the loans. So that means every month your principal balance continues to climb for 10 damn years. Meanwhile, you keep reapplying to this LRAP program. And so maybe if you get it, the LRAP program is paying your payments. So you might not actually be making the payments or sorry, you do in fact make the payments though, because they re they reimburse you for the payments. So you're never not making the payments. You're always making the payments. And then LRAP is going to pay you back for the payments that you're making. It's a total scam. It's yeah. (laughs) Right. And and then if anything changes, you know, including you might marry somebody who makes more money than you, you might decide to take a job where you actually make more money. You might decide not to work in the public interest at all anymore. You might decide not to practice law at all anymore. Any of these things happen and oh, poof, gone. Poof. But, you know, Berkeley is trying to promise you that, quote, pairing LRAP with the federal government's public service loan forgiveness program, PSLF program, graduates in certain public interest jobs can apply to have their loan balance entirely forgiven tax free after 10 years of qualifying employment and income-driven monthly payments. So again, yeah, it's clear. You have to be an income-based repayment. You have to make the payments for 10 damn years. And then eventually, if all of this stuff even still exists 10 years from now, you can get your loan forgiven. Well, notice too, the wording they use here, certain public interest jobs. So which ones? And right. you, it doesn't say you will. It just says you can apply. Right. These next three bullets, I think, (laughs) I think these next three bullets are Eric editorializing. Yeah. But it says, in other words, you're still mostly banking on loan forgiveness with PSLF, which requires you to work in a qualifying public interest job for 10 years. Next bullet, you must constantly reapply to the LRAP to prove you're still eligible every six months, I think. Wow. So it's not even yearly. Well, no, that's to get reimbursed, I think. Yeah. 
So it's like every six months you have to fill out this stupid form so that the, so that Berkeley will pay you back for the monthly payments you've been making out yeah. of pocket. Yeah. And then Eric points out different schools may have different eligibility requirements. They almost certainly will. Hey, look, I'd love to be proved wrong. Like if someone's in an LRAP program now and well, I shouldn't say LRAP program they're they're <laughs> they're a, a beneficiary of some LRAP and they love it and it's doing everything they expected. Tell us. We want to hear about it. I think you're the exception to the rule. Uh, well, maybe. Maybe most people who go in thinking that this is going to happen for them, maybe it does happen for them. Yeah. I just know personally people who it has not worked out for. And I can certainly see all of the many ways here that this might fail you, you know, including what about what do you think is going to happen if we get a DeSantis administration with a Republican Congress? <laughs> like, you know, I, hopefully in that situation, there would be so much gridlock that nothing would ever happen anyway. I mean, that's what n normally happens with our legislature. Nothing ever happens. So maybe this program just survives somehow forever. Yeah. But there's a million ways that these programs could just be gone. Yeah. Which would probably be good overall, right? Get rid of all this dependency and this free money for schools. But it's not going to be good if this is what your plan. It, it's going to be real bad for the people if, if it does. The thing is, you're just you are always personally on the hook for this money from day one for literally 10 years that's 10 years after you started working in the public interest so it's like three years of that is just school another few months of it is bar prep take the bar wait for bar results you know i mean we're talking about 14 years later that you might get your loan forgiven and be actually clean of all this stuff for the intervening 14 years your loan balance will be growing and yep. this is money that can't be discharged in bankruptcy. Yeah. You can like just completely hamstring yourself with debt. Yeah. And like best case, it goes away. Best case. <laughs> There's just so much of a better way, which is get the right LSAT, apply broadly and have multiple full ride scholarships potentially to choose from. Maybe even stipends. Who knows? And stipends. Yes. Which we see stipends pretty regularly. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Anonymous. We have another email from Anonymous. This is subject one year later, different results. I know you probably don't want to talk about random Internet postings, but I found this one too interesting not to share. Someone posted on social media about how they had applied to St. John's last cycle with a 157 LSAT and were denied. They retook the test and got a 164 and reapplied this year to St. John's. They were accepted and given a full tuition scholarship, plus given admittance into a scholar's program. Not sure what that is. Since St. John's has a $67,000 tuition, those seven LSAT points were worth slightly over $200,000. Perhaps Nathan's law of an LSAT point being worth $10,000 should be changed to, quote, at least $10,000. Well, you know me. I like to speak very conservatively and only say things that I'm sure about. I'm not sure <laughs> how to interpret that claim, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, that was a bad joke, but <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I say, I say $10,000 a point conservatively. 
Yep. <laughs> I, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I, I don't need it, it to be more than $10,000 a point. $10,000 a point, and I feel really good about that. It's easy to do the math, and it makes sense, and it's very common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is it more than $10,000 a point? Yeah. In many circumstances, it's going to be more than $10,000 a point. I, I pulled up uh, St. John's 509. I want to take a guess at what their 50th percentile might be. Is it a 162? Yes. <laughs> <That's my guess. laughs> so 162. Oh, really? <laughs> you nailed it. Um, it could have been a 163 or a 164 or a 161 yeah. or any other number in between random Internet persons 157 and their 164. But that's like that's what happens when you apply with an LSAT that is below their median. They go, well, wait, you're going to make us look bad in the rankings. When you apply with an LSAT that is above their median, they go, oh, you're going to make us look good in the rankings. And that wildly changes the price that they're going to charge you for going to the school. <laughs> yeah, that's like this is a random thing coming from, you know, the Internet. And you got to take all that stuff with a grain of salt. But Ben and I have each seen personal you know, we've seen this personally hundreds of times like this is how the game is played yeah you know <clears throat> i was just thinking uh, how do you determine when you go from zero to two hundred thousand dollars savings right so before this person wasn't admitted and now they're being admitted and it's really easy to look at the difference between the 25th percentile and the 75th percentile i mean that seems like a, a reasonable range to look at. And at St. John's, it goes from a 154 at the 25th percentile to a 164 at the 75th percentile. So there's 10 points, 10 LSAT points. Definitely takes someone from the bottom to near the top. It's not surprising you'd go from getting nothing to getting a full ride with 10 points. So that, that suggests that 10 points is worth... $200,000 or each point is worth $20,000 in that yeah. case. Well, this person did it with seven points and they went from not even being admitted all the way up to full ride. Yep. So yeah. with a 158, that might've been the worst case scenario, right? A 158 yeah. or a 159 might've been, oh, we'll admit you and charge you full price when a 164 gets you a damn full ride. Suggesting that the range is narrower, right? Which makes sense because all you really have to do is go from below the median to above the median yep. for your value to drastically change. <laughs> yep. I should restate it because for this person, one LSAT point would have been worth negative $200,000. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then seven LSAT points was worth positive $200,000. It really or, depends where you are in the scale, but yeah. 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 It. But this is the game. I mean, you know, St. John's, I guess we have to call you out right now for giving 75% of your class grants, you know, like, hey, anybody out there who's maybe considering being one of the 25% of St. John's uh, students who don't get any kind of a grant? Yeah. You know, 75% of your cohort is going to get a grant of those 20% are going to be half to full tuition and 41% are going to be full tuition. That's insane. We haven't seen numbers <laughs> like that for full. That's crazy. So St. John's 8,000 Utopia Parkway in Queens. They are aggressively playing this game to get you to come out to Queens for your law school education. And, you know, if you're a New York person, this like you'd be crazy not to apply to St. John's. 
Yeah. Well, if you believe the myth that scholarships are rare and very few people get them, <laughs> look at St. John's. 41% of the class is getting a full ride. And another 20% are getting somewhere between half to full. So, you know, that's 61% of the class who are paying less than half tuition. Yes. So 41% are paying literally zero tuition. Yeah. Most people are getting more than half. Yep. Yeah. Think about the value of the services that are actually being provided, right? Because we, so what we have is 25% of the class that's actually paying their full tuition of God, $67,800. But 75% of the class are paying something less than that. And 40% of the class is paying nothing at all. So, you know, you do the math on how much real value or how much like what's the total money that's actually coming in per student and it's it's well it's less than half of their nominal tuition so at st john's if you're paying full price you're paying for you yourself and part of somebody else uh, yeah and keep in mind that st john's is ranked 84th we were just talking about berkeley and berkeley's non-resident tuition is sixty-five thousand. So if you're paying full price at St. John's, you're paying more than you'd pay full price <laughs> at Berkeley. Berkeley. I misspoke a second ago. If you pay full price at St. John's, you're paying for you, someone else, and part of another someone else. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. You're, yeah. you're paying for more than two people's education at St. John's if you're paying full price. And, you know, for the people who got a 154 on the LSAT and have a 3.33 GPA, that's the 25th percentile. Yeah. Well, hope daddy's rich because you're, you know, like they might admit you, but you're going to be paying the bills at St. John's for yep. that. And, and you're going to be competing in your classes with people who have better undergraduate grades than you do, better LSATs than you do. It's a great deal for the people who get the full rides. It's a terrible deal for the people who pay full price. And I really would steer people away. I mean, that's why we say with such fervor, don't pay for law school. Yeah. They're literally keeping the lights on at that school. Like if you were in the yeah. library and they tried to kick you out and you're paying full price, you should be like, hold up. Like I'm paying for this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. You should get separate hours at the school gym. You should have office hours that are only for you. <laughs> there should be a special line at the bookstore when you're lining up to pay $1,700 for your semester worth of books. There should be a special line. Yeah. For just for you. Yeah. Straight to the front for Mr. Smith. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, Joe, for paying for our... <laughs> cafeteria and everything else Ugh. that's the that's the scam y'all i mean and i feel pretty comfortable calling it a scam i guess if you know if your family has a law firm and uh the law firm is more than happy to foot the bill then you know i'm not going to bitch about that but the problem is people borrow money to go to a school like this and that should just be criminal i mean you shouldn't be able to borrow money to go to that school come on well, the crazy thing, too, is it's not even in St. John's hands. It's in the federal government's hands. They could prevent these things from happening. If I was the U.S. Department of Education, I would look at that grants and scholarships table and I would be like, look, if you're giving more than half of your school, more than half off, if you're giving 41 percent of your school a full tuition scholarship, 
your school is no longer available for people to borrow money to come to that school. Because it's just borrowing money to give money to people who probably are better off than the people who are borrowing the money in the first place. Yeah, We know that LSAT and GPA and law school admissions generally, we know that it's correlated toward like wealth yeah, and whiteness. Yeah. You know, it's like they should have to print that this form should have another table on it that it's like, hey, who gets the scholarships mm-hmm. by race? Because if you're giving scholarships to rich white folks while letting poorer, browner people borrow money, that is just that like show me one person who thinks that that's a good system. Well, and the irony is that these schools are rewarded for doing so because not only do they get that money, they also get to claim diversity. Yep. So openness, access, diversity and right. But the truth is that the poorer, browner people are graduating with more way more debt than the richer, whiter people. Yep. That surely can't have been anybody's intention at the beginning of all this, this is unintended consequences. I'm not trying to blame St. John's in particular because St. John's is nothing to me. St. John's is just a typical regional law school. You know, they're ranked 80 something in the country. I have no problem uh, individually with St. John's. It's like an okay law school in Queens. And if they charged a reasonable price, I would have no problem. <laughs> if they didn't charge some people more than double while charging other people zero, I would have no problem. But this is the game that's happening at all similarly situated law schools. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big yikes. My God. It is. It's amazing that we can be in this business for 15 years or whatever it is, and then still have these yikes moments when you look at the reality of it, just the how stark it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> This next email is from Brad. The subject is retaking the LSAT in April to possibly get off wait lists. Ooh. Uh, Brad says, hey, Ben and Nathan, really love your show and wish I had hooked up with you months ago. That said, I scored a 154 on the LSAT and the highest so-called ranked school I got into was University of Minnesota, $45,000 scholarship. UGPA 3.8, waitlisted or denied at all top 14 schools why are you even applying to top 14 schools with a 154? That's interesting. Oh, and actually stunned at being waitlisted at nine out of the 14 with such a crummy score. So applied to all of the top 14 scores, schools with a 154 and got nine waitlists. Wow. It shows to the power of applying broadly, right? Yeah. Waitlists are also denials, though. I mean, like yeah. if you get waitlisted, it means you're not going to get a scholarship which means you shouldn't go. Yep. In almost all cases. Brad continues, I'm registered to retake the LSAT in April to see if I can get off some wait lists. What? Or at least ask for more money from Minnesota and other T50 schools I was accepted at with a higher LSAT score. I'm not going to lie and say I'll be spending day and night studying because I work. And worst scenario is that you, Minnesota, is not a bottom feeder school. I plan on using LSAT Demon to pick up some pointers and take advantage of any short classes. I hated the LSAT and took it twice, 153 and 154 scores respectively, and no prep. 
not trying to get a 175 score and would be happy just to get anywhere in the 160s. Thanks for your input. You guys are great exclamation point. Ben, you want to break it down for Brad? Yeah, I'm glad that you're retaking it, Brad. Um, those, as we just talked about, those points are worth at least $10,000 each. I would retake the test. I would withdraw all your scholarships or all your applications and apply next cycle with a much better score. Can't emphasize that enough, Brad. This is not the cycle for you. If you go to law school this year, I'm going to think that you're a sucker. I just like you're not following my advice. You, you've told me you've complimented me. You've told me that you think we're great. I appreciate that. I want to make it clear that you are not following my advice if you go to law school this fall. And as you've said before, Nathan, he's going to make this 3.8 sad. 3.8 is an excellent GPA. Don't yeah. throw it away. Um, if you really hate the LSAT, I guess I'd be curious why. Because you might hate law school. Oh, yeah. V highly likely. Your GPA is, uh, well, Minnesota. Minnesota is actually like, tw I didn't know this, but uh, Minnesota is uh, 21st in the country. Yeah, his GPA. Walter with F. A, Mondale Hall. Um, with his GPA and LSAT of 154, the estimator is estimating that he would be unlikely to get a scholarship. So something about his application is making people interested in him, but he, it's his LSAT score that's preventing great scholarships from other schools. 153 and 154 with no prep, Brad, you should easily get into the 160s. And 170 is not out of the question. By any if means. you want to open the doors to these top 14 schools, you need a better LSAT. You need a significantly better LSAT. And <laughs> trying to do that this cycle is just stupid. I mean, maybe you have people in your life that are forcing you down that road. But if you're doing it to yourself, you need to just make the adjustment here. You need to you need to realize that your plan hasn't worked so far and you need to follow our advice and start over. If you reapply in September with a 170, you're going to get dramatically different offers and well, making it even from a 154 165. To yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but like we it, Brad doesn't have to necessarily even get up there. I mean, I hope you do, Brad, and I think you can. But 154 is just it's not even in contention. <laughs> I don't need you to study day and night, Brad. I don't need you to quit your job. Most of our students go to school or work or both. All I'm looking for is one high quality hour every day. I mean, you're talking about a cold 154 or I guess cold 153. If you study an hour a day between now and September, I'd be shocked if you don't end up in the mid 160s or even 170. And it's way it's way more money than you're going to make at your job in that time. And I'm not even telling you to quit your job. Keep your job. <laughs> but also get yourself that forty five thousand dollar offer there. That's got to be for all three years. Right, Ben? That's what I was wondering. Uh, yeah, it's 50. It's a scammership. Of... It's fifteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah. It, and uh, that's terrible because the tuition there is 45 for residents, 55 for non-residents. They're just ripping you off if if you take anything close to that deal. 84% of the students at Minnesota get a grant. 30% get less than half tuition, which is what you're getting. 54% though get half to full tuition, which you're not getting. Yeah. 
He's below on both medians. He's below on the LSAT yeah. and he's below on the GPA. So it's got to yeah. be, yeah, it's got to be 15 a year. It, with with five or or eight more LSAT points, I think you're going to probably, it looks like, get into a couple of those top 14s. That gives you some negotiating leverage. You're also going to get full ride offers from lesser schools. Brad didn't mention what kind of full ride offers he got. He says he applied to some other schools. I wonder if any of those were full ride offers. Like we don't care what the best school is you got into. We care what the best school is that gave you a full ride. Even then though, I'd still be like, well, you can do astronomically better even with just five more points on the LSAT. But Brad, you could get into the 170s. And do not retake the LSAT hoping to get off wait lists and pay full price. Because then you're going to shortchange yourself. Yeah, do not retake the LSAT hoping to get a better offer this cycle. It's too late for that. The best offers have already been given out. You got to wait till September. You'll start getting scholarship offers before 2023 is gone. If you follow our advice, you'll have scholarship offers by the end of this year. That's just that you'll start law school in 2024 instead of 2023. And what difference does it make? You'll graduate from law school in 2027 instead of 2026. Who gives a shit? What difference does that make? But the... (laughs) hundreds of thousands of dollars that you might borrow if you continue down this path. I mean, that matters a lot. Hope that's helpful, Brad. We got this last one here from cash says, uh, subject says, thank you. Story time, colon academic appeal for bad grades. Okay. I'm a 27 year old non-traditional undergraduate student who will be graduating this fall summa cum laude. I started working on my law school application last fall. And What's realize, non-traditional? You're not non-traditional, Cash. Everybody yeah, should stop saying that. 27 years old is like totally traditional. Yeah, that's pretty normal. Yeah. I started working on my law school application last fall and realized through listening to you all, my UGPA would not only be from my current university, but it would also include my previous college grades from when I went to LSU straight out of high school. I ended up dropping out of LSU and wasn't sure that what those grades would look like, so I didn't think too much of it. Well, when I saw the transcript via LSAC, I nearly died. Oh dear, don't die. My UGPA dropped significantly from 3.9 to 3.3. Ugh. Yeah, that does suck. On a hope and a prayer, I reached out to LSU and they gave me instructions for an appeals process. It included an essay slash personal statement and supporting documentation for my for why the grades should be changed. I took my time with the personal statement, diligently explaining why I dropped out and why I had no idea I had to formally drop those classes to not receive F's for them all. I also provided them with the bus route I had to take to school every day since I didn't have a car at the time and I lived in an area that had subpar public transportation, along with my current transcript and all of my accomplishments since being at my current university. I followed up on it this past Monday and received a decision on my appeal today, exclamation point. In a miraculous feat, I'm happy to report I got the grades changed to W's, exclamation point. Wow. That is a relief. I would have never in a million years known or thought to do this had it not been for you all. All of that to say, thank you for all you do in informing students of how they can polish their law school applications, not only with the LSAT, but throughout the entire LSAC process or application process. I wish you both and the entire demon team nothing but the best. Best regards, 
cash. Wow. <laughs> nice work. You deserve it. That's what lawyers do. They hit the pavement in writing. <laughs> yep. This, uh, you know, like some schools are not going to allow you to do this. It makes me laugh that this is happening at LSU because LSU, you know, it's like big time college football and they yeah. have recently been sanctioned by the NCAA for breaking their like recruiting rules and stuff. Mm -hmm. so, so like LSU is there, they seem, Oh yeah, sure. No problem. Write us an essay. <laughs> tell us why. You know, I mean, because it benefits them, right? It doesn't, yeah. there's no way it benefits them to have cash, have this bad experience with them. They're just like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, eh, we'll just change those to W's. You won't be mad at us anymore and uh, go on and do your thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it's tempting to say that I wish there was like a, a, a global solution to this. Yeah. But I, I don't know how you do that. It's a complicated system. You got to fight for yourself. It's yeah. I mean, it, it's it is obvious that if you... You know, you went to LSU when you were 18 years old and you totally fucked up and dropped out. And then eight years later, you went back to school and finally graduated with much higher grades. I mean, obviously, those much higher grades are so much better at indicating how talented or how likely you are to succeed. In law school, you are. Yeah, but law schools wouldn't be able to report them if you couldn't get them removed. Couldn't report the better grades if you can't get those bad ones removed. Yeah. Well, nice work. Congrats, Cash. I hope other people get inspired and do the same thing and find success. They may not, but we wish them luck. Uh, be LSAT famous. Please ask questions or share news with us at thinkinglsat.com. Uh, if you have questions about the LSAT demon, email help at thinking, sorry, help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 390 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing ya. Don't pay for law school.